Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He is risen and dead. Jesus Christ is alive today because he rose from the grave. Do you believe that? Amen. I'm going to be asking that question a couple times, and you feel free to answer any way you like. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28. Same scripture that Pastor Perkins read a few moments ago. Just going to look at two verses here this morning. Matthew 28, beginning with the sixth verse. If, as you find your way there this morning, stand with me, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 28. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, we stand in awe that you could love us so very much that you sent your only begotten son in this world to die upon that cross that we might have life. Father, I pray today right now that every one of us, Father, would understand, Father, what we believe in. We'd realize the truth, Father, behind the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, speak to all of our hearts that we might leave this place in just a little bit, change yet again for eternity. Father, we thank you now for your holy word. And Father, we pray all these things in the precious, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Resurrection Sunday is the most important celebration in all of the church. There's nothing greater that we celebrate than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We do it every Sunday. Listen very carefully. If Jesus Christ had not rose from the grave, we wouldn't be here today. There would be no faith. The Old Testament would be one of the most boring books in all the world. But Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, buried in a bald tomb, but he was raised from the grave on that third day. Jesus Christ lives today. Jesus Christ is no longer on the cross. The cross is empty. Jesus Christ is no longer wrapped in those funeral clothes. The funeral clothes are empty. Jesus Christ is no longer in that tomb. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Do you believe? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most decisive, glorious, astonishing fact of all of history. Jesus bore the penalties of our sin that you and I did not have to. He's our Savior, but he would not be our Savior if he had not risen from the grave. 32 times in the gospel we see the tomb contained the dead body of Jesus Christ, but it was declared that he's no longer there. It was declared that he rose from the grave 32 times. Saturday after he was crucified, the body was safe. In that tomb, it was secure. But Sunday, the body was no longer there because he arose from the grave. The angels rolled, that, rolled back that rock so we could see Jesus walked out through that earth to establish his victory over death and the grave and sin. The tomb was empty. You know, if you ponder this thought for just a second, Jesus Christ stands forever as a person that died but rose from the grave. Think about it. People, even if they don't believe it, know that about him. Jesus Christ said himself in Revelations 1, verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. 
Jesus Christ said that he died and he rose from the grave. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know what the number one image is that jewelers throughout all of time have used and modeled jewelry after? The number one image. What is the number one thing? Absolutely. Somebody said at the cross. You're right. You think about that. The cross. The cross, the most brutal way to die when Jesus Christ was alive. There was no more brutal way. It was a horrendous, torturous death. And it was reserved for the most felonious of criminals. The lowest of the low were relegated to die upon that cross when they committed heinous crimes. There was no death more vivid nor more horrendous. I want you to ponder this thought. Why would you ever make a piece of jewelry ordained in the finest of metals, gold or silver, or even ordained with, with, with uh, diamonds? Why would you ever do that? You know, it would be kind of like making a jewelry piece of a guillotine or a jewelry piece of an electric chair or a jewelry piece of a hangman's noose. Why would you do that? You know why? Because something beautiful, something supernatural, something marvelous, something life-changing happened upon that cross. It's no more the vivid image of a horrendous death. It's the image of life. It's an image of God sending his son in this world, and that's why they make jewelry about it. A lot of people wear that cross around a beautiful chain of the neck, and I don't know if they truly understand what it means. Many of us do. Many of you have those chains and those crosses around your neck, wanting to think about it every day and let people ask you about your cross, and so you can tell them what this cross represents in my life. I want to spend some time this morning, though, talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact in history. It's been settled. It is a fact. For centuries, many of the world's most distinguished philosophers have tried to prove the fact that the cross was not true, that nobody rose from the grave off that, uh, off that cross. Nobody came back to life after being persecuted and killed on that cross. They try to refute the idea that there's a resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can you and I believe, though? How can you and I truly believe? Do we believe? A fellow by the name of Lee Strobel, an attorney out of Chicago, he was also a newspaper writer, but a profound, educated attorney, decided a number of years ago, several decades ago now, he was going to disprove Jesus Christ. He was going to do his research, and he was a great researcher. He was a great orator. He was a great, incredible attorney. could argue his point all day long and usually win. Decided he was going to study God's Word and the in the, in the scriptures here, he's also going to study all the historical writings. And then he's going to write a book refuting the fact that Jesus Christ really wasn't the Son of God. He really didn't die upon that cross. He really didn't arise from the dead. Well, as he got into it, he was digging in profoundly. He was going after it with all that he had because he was so certain that he could prove this truth. But he approached the Holy Bible. He approached all that historical evidence seeking the truth. You know what happened? Lee Strobel got saved. He couldn't look at all that information and all those things that were written about Jesus Christ, including his Holy Bible here, and not come to realize personally because he was looking for the truth, he came to know Jesus Christ. God changed his life, even though that was not his intent. That wasn't what he was trying to do. He wanted to do just the opposite. The, the, the book was titled Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And I want to talk a little bit about the evidence this morning that we know and that we have here 
that you and I might know with absolute certainty that we've made the right decision. And maybe somebody here this morning had not made that decision yet. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ personally. You've heard about him. You know about him. But you haven't come to that point in your life when it's personal. And I want to share some evidence this morning empowered by the Holy Spirit. I've been praying all day. We prayed this morning that the Holy Spirit would move in this room and that God himself would speak to your heart and knock on that door of your heart. What is some of that evidence? Well, think about this for just a second. When I was in elementary school, which was quite a while back, quite a ways while back, one of the things we used to talk about and you know, discuss a lot, us young little boys and dreaming about what we might want to be someday, maybe be an astronaut, but you really think they'll ever get to the moon someday? They had some movies about it, but it hadn't happened. We kept talking about it and thinking about it, you know, I wonder if we'll ever really get to the moon someday. Maybe I can walk on the moon someday. Maybe that can happen. Maybe it can be. Well, you know, because of history, that on July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. First man ever to walk on the moon. We accomplished that. Great scientists, great, great endeavor there to get a man to walk on the moon. It was a huge feat. But before it happened, we always wondered if that could happen. Before we flew, before the Wright brothers flew, we wondered, could man ever fly? All these things we've wondered all these years and pondered the thought. Do you know what? I no longer need to ask a question about, will man ever be on the moon? He's been there. We've already accomplished that fact. It's already a, a certified fact. It's already in the evidence of mankind and the history of mankind that that happened, that we have walked on the moon. I want you to think about this this morning in, in reference to Jesus Christ rising from the dead. It's already happened. It's already a proven fact. We don't need to ask the question, did he rise from the dead? The question that you and I need to ask today, what am I going to do with that information? What am I going to do with the fact that God came to earth? He spent about 33 years here. The tide of popular opinion turned against him. He was crucified. He was buried in a broad tomb, and on the third day he rose from the grave. Today he lives in heaven. What am I going to do with that fact in my life? Is it going to make a difference in my life? Do I want to have that kind of relationship with God Almighty because he came and he died, and he lives again. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What am I going to do with that information in my life? Let me give you some more compelling evidence. There's 11 specific occasions that happened in those 40 days after Jesus Christ rose from the grave where he saw people. It's recorded in the Gospels that Jesus Christ saw these people. He saw the apostles. He saw some disciples. He saw random people. He saw two men that were walking back from Jerusalem heading back to Emmaus the day after he rose from the dead. And he's walking with them. It's actually the day he rose from the dead, that afternoon, walking with these men. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinth church, mentioned an impressive appearance that Jesus made to 500 people. He talks about it there. He's sharing the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. In fact, he showed himself to 500 people in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says. He also says this after he shares the fact that he showed himself to 500 people. He said, some of you were there. Some of you were probably there. You're still alive. This didn't happen that long ago. Some of you were there. And then he invites the rest of the crowd, hey, seek out somebody that was there and ask them about it. See if I'm not telling you the truth. They were there. They were there. I want you to ponder this thought for just a moment. 500 people at one place where Jesus showed himself. Imagine if you get each one of them, 500 people, to give a six-minute testimony or six-minute statement about seeing Jesus that day. Yeah, man, we were going from here to there, and 
You know, we saw all these people gather, walked over there and saw Jesus. He was there. I'd met him before. We met him on the Sermon on the Mount. We saw him there. He was alive. He showed everybody the holes in his hands. Jesus Christ truly came back from the grave. Six-minute testimony by 500 people. Imagine if we had a court case and we had those 500 people all come and share their six-minute testimony. That's more than 50 hours of evidence, testimony, that Jesus Christ is alive. How can you get that many people together and keep the same story? You can't. We know that. You can't get three people in a room today and tell the same story and have them come out in the same story. It gets changed. There were so many people. This is evidence that demands a verdict. So many people that saw Jesus Christ alive those 40 days we walked on this earth. It couldn't be a hoax. It couldn't be. It's statistically impossible. It could not be a hoax that those people all lied. I want to think about this for a minute. Back to the court case for a second. A lot of times, either defense attorneys or prosecuting attorneys will bring in a hostile witness. That means the hostile witness is not really lined up with my way of thinking here. It's not on my side. You know, it would be easy for us in this room to say this morning that, you know, all those people that saw Jesus Christ were probably followers. They'd probably seen him before some time, and they loved him. And, you know, the apostles all had an endearing heart for Jesus Christ. So, yeah, it's logic that those people would say something good or even maybe get into a conspiracy and all lie. Not probably, but it could. Well, how about that hostile witness that wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ? Did any of those guys see Jesus Christ alive? You bet. There was probably not a more hostile witness to Jesus Christ than Saul, the Pharisee. Remember him? He was probably one of the most educated Jews in all of Israel. Went to the best schools. And he had a passion to kill Christians. He was there the day they stoned Stephen. He saw that. Watched it. He would gotten permission from the high priest of Jerusalem to go to, Damas to, to go to Damascus and arrest some Christians and maybe bring them back so we can kill them. That was his mission. So he got on his little journey. had a few guys with him going to Damascus to kill, kill Christians. Half the way to Damascus... Lightning struck him. He fell to his knees and came face to face with Jesus Christ. Here's a hostile witness, an incredibly hostile witness, but met Jesus face to face, saw Jesus personally, saw him raised from the dead, saw him alive. Jesus Christ said, why are you persecuting me? Paul said, I'm not persecuting you. You're persecuting my people. When you do that, you're persecuting me. Paul realized he was in the face of God. You know what he said? He said, God, what do you want me to do? He came face to face with Jesus Christ. There's a hostile witness that gives testimony to the fact that he saw Jesus Christ alive. The Apostle John saw him while he was alive, but he also saw him later on in his life. After Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus Christ showed up on the, island, on the island of Patmos, where John had been exiled to because he was a renegade Christian. And he saw Jesus Christ there, and Jesus Christ commissioned him to write the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Over and over and over again, these men saw Jesus Christ while he was alive. But there's even a bigger testimony, two more bigger testimonies. One of the greater testimonies is the fact that millions and millions of people for 2,000 years have come to know Jesus Christ and would attest today that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Why? Because I got a personal relationship. I talked to him this morning. He changed my life. I have this testimony personally, and I know Jesus Christ is alive. And hundreds of thousands of those people, you know what? They've given their life as well for Christ. They've lived in countries that are not friendly to Christianity, that are hostile to Christianity. They've had to make a decision. You want Christ or do you want to live? If you want Christ, you're dying. We're going to kill you right now. We're going to crucify you. We're going to chop off your head. We're going to burn you at the stake. And they've said, I know Jesus Christ. I want him. Do whatever you want to do to me. 
How could that testimony be for somebody that did not rise from the dead? You know those millions of testimonies? You know what that says? He still lives. He not only rose in the grave, but he's alive today. Every bit as much alive as he's ever been. He's been there before, during, and after. He's there forever. The final testimony about the fact that Jesus Christ lives is you and me. We know he lives. Why did Jesus Christ do that like that? So we could demonstrate to this world that Jesus Christ truly lives. I know he lives. You ask me. Come talk to me. I'll tell you how I know he lives. You can do the same thing. He lives. A lot of famous people have also given testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ lives. Do you know that Winston Churchill was a Christian? He wasn't a marginal Christian. He was a sold-out Christian. He desired that his funeral service one day would be a great testimony to his life. He wanted his funeral service to be used to exalt the name of God Almighty and Jesus Christ. So he planned it. He passed away and they held his funeral on January 30th, 1965. It was held, held in St. Paul's Cathedral in England, London. It was a very impressive state funeral. And those of us that got to see Ronald Reagan's funeral, it was every bit that pomp and circumstance. They had all the military out there in their dress uniforms and the bands. And do you know what? One thing that was special about Winston Churchill's funeral, it was a service exalting the name of Jesus Christ. He wanted to make sure that you talk about Jesus Christ and that you talk about where I'm at today because of my belief in Jesus Christ. He wanted there to be an evangelistic major theme to his funeral service. He even planned the benediction, and this is beautiful. Knowing that it would be a kind of a full military thing, he asked to have two buglers from the Scots Guard play their bugles that day at the benediction. He asked for one of them to be over on this side of that cathedral, way up in the stratosphere there in the, in the balcony, and he wanted the other bugle over here. And one bugler said, I want you to play taps. Taps is the international song that designates the day is end. The day is over. And the other guy, the other bugler on the other side of the cathedral, he said, I want him to play Reveille. And Reveille is the international song that says it's time to get up. It's morning time. It's a new day. Welcome to the new day. And he wanted the pastor to explain why he did this. So at the end of the service, they did that. Taps was played and the Reveille was played. And the pastor said this. Winston Churchill wanted you to know that it's good night on this side of eternity. But it's good morning on the other side. Winston Churchill believed the truth of the resurrection. The fact that Jesus Christ rose in the grave is the greatest truth you will ever know. Let me say that again. The fact that Jesus Christ rose in the grave will be the greatest truth you will ever know. The empty tomb is just the beginning for our lives. This is kind of an interesting thought. It's a profound thought, and I don't want you to miss it this morning. But I want you to try to wrap your thoughts around this concept. More has been gained in the resurrection of Jesus Christ than we ever lost in the sin of Adam and Eve. Think about that. More has been gained in the resurrection of Jesus Christ than we ever lost in the sin that Adam and Eve committed. Romans 5.20 says this, But where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. What's that saying? God just didn't kind of rectify and level the playing ground of the sin. He so far exceeded the sin in our life 
the ability that you and I have to live this life way beyond the sin of our life, the ability that you and I have to live a life of victory in the midst of enemy territory. We live in enemy territory. We live in a land that's been conquered and defeated by Satan over and over, but God hasn't shown up yet. He's shown up in yours in my life. But we have an incredible opportunity to live in a wonderful way. What have we gained by that resurrection? We've gained purpose. We've gained passion. We've gained hope. We've gained a future. We've gained the possibilities of God in our life. What does God want to do next in my life? What can God do in my life? What is God's plans for my life? We've gained forgiveness. We've gained a brand new life. These are just to mention a few of the things that we've gained in God Almighty through his resurrection. Evidence, once again, that Jesus Christ rose from that grave. The blood of Jesus Christ gives us that new life. Jesus Christ in his holy word tells us that we're a brand new creation, that we're raised in newness of life, that the old man is dead. We're no longer limited by our old life. God has set out this brand new life for you and I, that we can live in this passion that God has given us. We can have this life that's filled with victory. We don't need to walk around despairing and discouraged and hopeless because Jesus Christ gave us hope. I believe with all my heart, and I'm looking around the room and I see a lot of you. If I stop preaching right now, nobody say amen. And I pass the microphone around and I said, hey, I want you to tell me if you have a new life. Tell me about your new life. I believe people all this auditorium would stand up and pop up and say, hey, me, me, I want to share my story. I want to tell you how God changed my life. I want to tell you how my life was so miserable. I want to tell you how I was hopeless and I was even pondering the thought of, why am I still here? But God showed up and changed my life. We had a precious couple here today. You know the Stanleys, Bucky and Ellen Stanley. Many of you don't want that. You know this because she kind of wanted to keep it quiet. But she's been struggling now for almost five months with cancer, going through radiation treatment and chemotherapy. I was over at a, an event on Thursday night at the sheriff's department honoring a lot of the police officers there. Bucky Stanley was there. came up to me and he said, Hey, I got great news. Ellen went to the doctor today. She's healed. There's no cancer. I started crying. He started crying. You know, God is good. God gives power. God gives us life. You know, in the midst of those things, think about if you didn't have God. You come down with an illness like that, I got no future. got no hope. But you know, all things are possible with God. God gives me hope. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. My daughter, Abby, is working down in Nashville. There's no doubt in my mind that God has put a calling upon her, that God has anointed her to work with senior citizens. She loves it. She absolutely loves it. And I'm thankful, personally, to like to hang out with senior citizens. But she works in an assisted living home, and she's an activities director. She's got such a creative mind. She's always doing great things. She had a big Easter party yesterday for these senior citizens. And um, I'd never heard this before, but she had bunny bowling. Bunny bowling. I didn't know if it was a bunny that you threw down the thing. Or <laughs> it's actually little bunnies that look like pins. You throw a ball down there. But um, Easter egg hunt for these seniors. They loved it. They absolutely loved it. And um, they love her too. I was down there to see her assisted living home a couple months ago, visit her, see where she works there. And they, they just uh, poured out the affection on her when we were walking through the halls. And she knew most of them by name and so precious. She has a little sign in her office. And I love this sign. It says, and this is my daughter's personality too, live every day like it's your birthday. 
Live every day like it's your birthday. Think about that. You know, most of us, hey, it's my birthday. You know, somebody could tell me happy birthday today, and, you know, it's my special day, so I want to feel like I'm special. Listen very carefully. You are special. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made you in his own image. God has a special plan for your life. And when you realize truly that Jesus Christ rose from that grave, and you truly believe, you know what? Every day is like your birthday because I got Jesus Christ here. I got the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I got the creator of the universe as personal friends. They live inside me. And I want to live this life for his glory. I want to live my life in such a way as I point other people that way too. I can't do that though if I'm not living in that same power. There's all kinds of historical evidence, but the greatest proof, as I've mentioned already, is your life. The proof that Jesus Christ lives. He rose from the grave. You may be sitting here today and say, Pastor, you know, that sounds exciting, and I'd like to have that, and I, I kind of have that now, Pastor. It's great. But how can we truly have this new life? You know, one of the ways we can have that is what God did for us upon that cross. It's called forgiveness. God forgave us. You may be saying, well, what, what does that have to do with a great life? Forgiveness. Well, you know, because we're living in fallen territory, because we're all born into sin, we really are. From the time we're, from the time we're babies, we're born into it. You think about this. How about the first time you ask your two-year-old child to do something and he or she says, no, no. You know, what's that? That's sin. Or you just made some fresh cookies and your little four-year-old goes over there and snags a cookie and you realize one's missing and you say, did you take a cookie? No, no. We're all born in sin. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? It, it gets bigger. It gets broader. By the time we reach the age of kind of judgment of 10, 11, 12 years old, by the time we get into adulthood, Man, we got a list a mile long. Sin separates us from God. We cannot have a relationship with God because of sin, because of the things we've done, even the little things. It's all sin. It all looks the same to God. Remember when Jesus Christ, hanging upon that cross, looked down at all those folks? These are the folks that spit on him, that threw rocks, that were crying just a few hours before that, crucify him, crucify him. That had been mean to him. The soldiers were all there that had beaten him to beyond recognition, that had nailed those nails in his hands. All the things that had been just atrocious against Jesus Christ, attacking him personally. How did Jesus handle it? He looked down and he said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was showing us what it looks like to be like God. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does this forgiveness give to you and I? It says this in verse 9 of John, 1 John 1. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died that we might have our sins forgiven. What do sins do to us? They weigh us down. They block Jesus Christ flowing through our life because we're filled up with sin. We're filled up with the world. So we can't have Jesus Christ living through us and live that amazing life that God wants us to have, that new life that God's promised to us. Sin is like a huge bag of junk, a huge bag of things that we've done that are incorrect. The essence of sin, it's, a, it's an archer's term, and it means to miss the mark. You think about an archer with a bow and arrow down there and the target weighs out there and shoots the target... His desire is to hit the bullseye. When we sin, we don't hit the bullseye. We don't even hit the target. We miss the mark because we sin. God has a standard. 
none of us can hit that standard. The only person that ever lived God's standard on this earth was Jesus Christ. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory that God, the Bible tells us. We have an incredible opportunity, though, to receive Jesus Christ and let him take that big bag of junk. <coughs> Some of us realize we're dragging that bag around. Some of us don't. You know, I've seen over and over as a pastor when people come to the point they receive Jesus Christ and God lifts that off them. Oh, man. I'm different. I'm changed. What is it? Well, one of the things I don't tell them this normally, one of the things is I'm no longer dragging that bag of junk all through my life, weighing me down, getting in my way. I need to get rid of that bag of stuff and receive Jesus Christ into my heart and into my mind and soul. <coughs> On February 27, 1991, at the height of Desert Storm, a lady by the name of Ruth Dillon got a message from the Pentagon that her only son had just been killed in Kuwait. He was a PFC first class in the U.S. Army on a patrol and stepped on a landmine, the, the note told her, and was killed instantly. Ruth Dillon had just lost her husband about four years before that, and her son was the only relative she had. The only thing that really had any value in her life was her son. Ruth was devastated. I mean, she was so much in grief. Nobody consoled her. She cried for days. She felt like her life was over. She was hopeless. She entered into a deep, deep depression, just missing her boy and could not believe that her boy was dead and killed in Kuwait. Three days after receiving that note, there was a knock on her door. She went to the window first and looked out there. She was crying and saw it was two Army officers dressed in their uniform. She figured maybe they were bringing some of his personal effects or something, but Maybe they wanted to bring their condolences, so she made her way to the door, still crying with her handkerchief in her hand, and said, uh, good morning, and they said, good morning, ma'am. She said, well, come on in. So they walked inside her little foyer there. The colonel was a senior ranking officer there, and he looked at her and said, Mr. Dillon, I'm so sorry. We made a mistake. Your son's not dead. He was injured. He'll be okay. He's in a hospital. He'll be home soon. Are you kidding me? Really? Thank you, Jesus. My son's alive. Can you imagine? My son's dead, but now he's alive. She couldn't contain herself. Her whole world had been turned upside down, but now it's turned right side up again because her son was not dead. He was alive. A true story. I can't even begin to imagine myself if I went through that pain of realizing that one of my sons, I have a son in the military, was killed in combat. And then three days later, finding out he's alive. Well, imagine what the apostles and the disciples thought when they found out that Jesus Christ was alive. They were horrified. They were discouraged. They were hopeless. All these things they'd been dreaming about and planning with Jesus Christ were over now. Jesus Christ is dead and he's buried in a tomb. No, he's not. He's alive. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Jesus Christ is alive today. What a difference that resurrection makes in your life, in my life, in the life of those that come to realize Jesus Christ lives today, and I can have this life. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
And whoever lives, lives and believes in me shall never die. Praise God for resurrection power. That as we realize Jesus Christ is the life and the resurrection, we can have life and never die. Life forever with him. Listen very carefully. We're all going to live forever. We all do. Every one of us is going to live for eternity. But there's a choice you get to make in your life where I spend that eternity. I can spend it with God in heaven or I can spend it with the enemy Satan in hell. I'm here to tell you, I preached a sermon a number of years ago, seven reasons you don't want to go to hell. I'll do that again one of these days. But I'm here to tell you, you do not want to go to hell. How many in this room can tell me that they know with absolute certainty they're going to live another year? None of us can. None of us can. I'm going to come chat with you, ma'am. That's great. I like that. I hope you live another year. I hope you live another 40 years. Amen. I hope that for myself. But none of us know, right? We don't know if we're going to live tomorrow. I have a very important question to ask you here. We're just about finished. Where are you going to spend eternity when you die? Do you know? Do you know where you spend eternity? Do you want to spend it where Jesus is? I want to ask you right now, if you would, with me, and we'll be finished. Bow your head right now and close your eyes. Every eye closed and every head bowed. I want to talk to you for a minute, and then I'm going to say a little prayer. Jesus, as he gathered his apostles together in that upper room, that final night before he was crucified, knew they were anxious. He knew they were nervous. And he shared some thoughts with him. And I believe the thoughts he shared in John 14 are probably some of the most powerful words in all the Bible. Jesus Christ looked at those he loved. He looks at you today. And he said to that night, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I tell you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come to you and receive you again, that you may be where I am. Thomas said, but we don't know where you're going, nor do we know the way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. There's only one way to heaven. You know, there's a lot of folks out there, different religions, and different false faiths that would say there's more than one way. There's even some Christians that believe that. I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's word because he says in his holy word, there's only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to imagine this just for an easy illustration. Imagine you left here today and this afternoon you said, I'm going to call the pastor. I just want to chat with him. So you pick up your cell phone and you dial any old number in there, any number at all. And then you put the phone up your ear and expect for me to answer. Well, you know that that's not going to happen because there's only one number that will work to get me on the other end of the phone. Not any number. You can't just punch in anything you want. You can't choose anything you want, decide what you want to punch in there, and then expect to receive me answering your phone. There's only one number. Listen very carefully. There's only one way to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ. It's not my idea. It's his idea. Truth is narrow. A lot of people say that that's kind of intolerant, that that doesn't make sense. Well, there's only one God that lives in heaven. And it has three parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
I want you to know today, too, that we're not leaving the land of living, going to the land of the dead. We're living in the land of the dead, hoping one day to get to the land of the living. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then Romans 6.23 says this. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is Jesus Christ. The wages of our sin, because of our sin, because we have not received Jesus Christ, we're destined to spend eternity in hell. But God, in his infinite providence, gives us a way to receive Christ. He tells us in Romans 10, if you confess your mouth, if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ with your mouth and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you can be saved. It's that simple. What does it mean to confess with our mouth? It means that I want to acknowledge the fact that I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes in my life. And I want to ask God to forgive me. I want to confess my sins to God. Don't need to confess them individually. Just say, I'm a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I want to receive you into my life. The same, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you and I today, right now. The question for you and I, what am I going to do with a resurrected Savior? What am I going to do with Jesus? Do you want to receive Jesus Christ this morning? If you do, if you really want to make certain this day that I have Jesus Christ living in me, I can leave here today with absolute confidence that I have a home in heaven one day. Pray that's years off. But I know that I know that I know that Jesus Christ lives in my heart today. If you'd like to do that, I'd like to ask you right now to pray this prayer with me. You can say it out loud if you like, or you can say it to yourself. Jesus Christ hears your thoughts and your prayers in your heart. So repeat after me if you'd like to do that this day. Dear Father, you have told me there's only one way. I believe your holy word. Father, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Help me to sin no more. Father, I ask you to be Lord of my life. I want you to lead my life. I no longer want to lead my life. I want you to. God, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ lived, he died, and he rose on the third day. God, I believe with all my heart that Jesus lives in heaven today. Because of this, the Bible says I can be saved. Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for being Lord of my life. I give it all to you. And this I pray in Jesus' name.